You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Good morning. It's good to have you guys worshiping with us. So we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, as Pastor Jonathan mentioned, and, and we've finally reached the end. But before I continue, I feel like it would be helpful to, to clarify something about the end of the last chapter, chapter 16. So, so if you look at the end of Mark, it might continue until verse 20. And, and just so we're all on the same page here, biblical scholars using a, a science called textual criticism uh, believe that verses 9 through 20 are a later addition. So, so some Bibles, uh, it, it might be in a bracket or it might be in a footnote, and basically it'll say some of the oldest manuscripts don't have verses 9 through 20. So you can do your own research. It's, if you believe that that is uh, a part of the original, that's, that's fine. Um, for me, the evidence strongly points to verse 8 being the original intended ending. And so, so for me, the dilemma then is if, if that's the end of the gospel, then no other gospel ends like this. There's no joyful reunion between Jesus and his followers. And, and it's not even like it's a, a, a neutral ending. It seems like the women hear the good news of the resurrection and they disobey the angel and run away scared. It says they don't tell anything to anyone. And so we'll address this later on. Um, but... For now, right now, pray for me. Pray with me right now. Uh, thank you, Heavenly Father, uh, for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Help soften our hearts right now um, that, that you would just speak to us right now in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of this message is The Resurrection, Raised for Restoration. So We've been going through Mark since January, and, and right from the introduction, Mark states, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Or, or another way that could be translated is, is, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and this is the only time in the gospel of Mark that, that Mark tells us what he thinks. And, and what he does for the rest of the book is he tries to convince us of this, by presenting Jesus' life to us. And so Mark shows us through Jesus' actions, through his words, how he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and man, this is, it really is good news. Like when Mark says in the beginning, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, you start seeing why. He, he is bringing good news. So in his preaching and in his actions, he, he's delivering people from demonic oppression. Uh, a paralyzed man can walk after an encounter with Jesus. So, so he's bringing hope. He, he's bringing physical restoration. A, a man with leprosy is cured. He's doing amazing things like feeding thousands of people with, with a couple loaves of bread and, and, and some fish. And, and he's calming storms with mere words. I mean, the disciples are, are even talking amongst themselves like, who, who is this that even the wind and sea obey him? His teachings are, are with an authority and conviction that people haven't heard before. 
He teaches that the kingdom of God isn't like the, the kingdoms of this world. You see, so, so in the kingdoms of this world, you're great by how many people serve you. But, but Jesus says, he, he flips that and says that you're actually great by how much you serve. He says that the first will be last, but not everyone loves him. A, a lot of people just like the signs and wonders. They, they like what he provides. They don't take his teaching serious. And then, and then the religious leaders, they really don't like him. So, so one of the things that Jesus claims to do is that he has the ability to forgive sins. And so they, they really don't like that. that. That's blaspheming. But the thing is, what Jesus is, is doing is, is he's showing them that he has that authority. And, and so another thing is they don't like that he hangs out with sinners and tax collectors. And so the, the, uh, he gets, and they get even angry saying that, that why would you hang out with them? But Jesus calls them out for their religious hypocrisy. And how they're more concerned with external behavior than internal motives. And so halfway through the book, one of his disciples, Peter, confesses that, that Jesus, you are the Messiah. And it's clear that his misconceptions are, are coming through. Because later on, it's like he, they want Jesus to be this, this uh, political king that would take over uh, the, the Romans, uh, uh, the captives. The, they will take over. Israel from the Roman oppression. And so, so to Peter and the disciples, the Messiah was going to be this political king. But for Jesus to be the Messiah means that he's coming in the form of a suffering servant, as it says in Isaiah 53. A king who will bring God's rule by actually giving up his life. The kingdom of God does not look like what they thought it would. They think that following Jesus is going to mean fame and gaining status. And, and Jesus makes it clear that following him is actually more like dying. It means carrying our own cross and rejecting sin and pride and, and selfishness and rejecting the, the, the want to be the ruler of our own life. And so Jesus in chapter 10 tells his followers, I did not come to, to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is trying to prepare them for his mission. For what the Messiah must do. Jesus repeatedly says that, that he will suffer many things and that he will die and rise again. But the disciples still don't get it. And they respond with confusion and fear. And they still have these different expectations for what he should do. And so he goes on to Jerusalem. And the religious leaders are coming at him hard. They're, they're challenging Jesus' authority. And they try to trap him by asking questions. And, and he always responds in a way that they don't expect. And it gets to the point where they don't they just stop asking him questions. And they end up cutting a deal with one of his disciples who, who ends up betraying Jesus for money. And Jesus gets arrested. All of his disciples end up abandoning him. And, and as Pastor Kevin preached on last week, he was tortured and executed like a criminal on a Roman cross. And yet that was nothing compared to the spiritual suffering that he went through, but it was part of the plan. And so we left off last week, the mighty son of God, the one who, who displays so much power, does not use his power for himself and dies what seems to be a powerless death. And so 
the end of chapter 15, as we go right into 16, so the end of chapter 15, we're, we're introduced to three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and, and Salome. And so they play an important role later. But, but uh, then we're introduced to this guy, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. And, and Joseph was a, a member of the, the council that actually had just condemned Jesus. But it says that, that Joseph um, was basically, he was looking for the kingdom of God. And so we see that he, he goes to, to Pilate, asks for the body. Uh, Pilate, the Roman official, makes sure the body is dead, gets confirmation, allows Joseph to take the body. And, and Joseph has this like cave tomb, a tomb that's cut out of rock, and he buries Jesus there. So at the end of chapter 15, it says that the women saw where the tomb was. All right, and then that's where chapter 15 ends. It's right before the Sabbath. So Joseph was trying to get all this done because the Sabbath was coming sundown on Friday. And, and so chapter 16 starts right, at the, right after the Sabbath. So it's early morning after the Sabbath. And so there's this day of, of, uh, of the day of rest. Um, that's part of Jewish culture. And so the, the beginning of chapter 16 starts early morning. The three women get up, and, and it says that they want to anoint the body of Jesus with spices. And so think of this like, like they're, they're wanting to pay their respects, but with a, a practical element to it. So, so the spices have this aroma that basically helps mask the, the odor of a, a decomposing body. And so this is an act of love. They were not able to do it because it was, it was Sabbath right when they were able to bury the body. And so they're, they get up early. They're, they're probably filled with grief and sadness. They just witnessed the, the public execution brutal execution of Jesus. And, and they don't even have a good plan. They're, they're going to the tomb, and, and they're asking themselves, like, how are we, there's a, Mark mentions there's a, a large stone that's rolled in front of the tomb. And so they're asking themselves, how are we even going to get in here? Like, they're not even thinking this through. And, and so they're walking, and, and as they get there, they realize the stone is rolled away. And so they're probably a little bit worried, frightened, and, and, and so they go in, and they see someone right away who's described as a young man wearing a white robe. And, and in other gospel accounts, they call him an angel. And so, and so they come in. They don't see Jesus. They see this young man who, who's an angel, and they're startled. And, and, and the angel says, do not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See, see See the place where they laid him. Look, look where the body was. He's not here. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So we're going to camp out here on the angel's message in, in verses 6 and 7 for a little bit. And so, so the first thing I want you to notice is, is notice right there at the end of verse 7. The young man says, just as he told you. So Jesus in Mark chapter 14, verse 28, was, was telling the disciples how he was going to suffer and how they would all fall away. But, but then he says, verse 28 in chapter 14, after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And so the first important thing to understand is this angel is bringing a message that is not his own. He is reminding the women of what Jesus said and in turn telling them to remind the disciples of what Jesus said. And this is not some new message that the angel is bringing. 
This is something that the followers of Jesus would be able to verify among themselves. And so another thing to notice, the message is a clear declaration of news. It is a clear, unambiguous message of what is going on. So I'm from Connecticut, from, from the East Coast, and uh, I don't know if it was big here, but, but The Sopranos was, was pretty big out there, and, and the, I, I'd never seen it. Uh, just to be, I'm not recommending it. I haven't seen it, just, just, just so you know. But I was listening to Sports Talk, New York Sports Talk Radio, all right? I, I was trying to find out about the Mets. They were going through like an epic collapse in 2007, and, and there's this debate on New York Sports Talk Radio about the ending of The Sopranos. It was the, the grand finale, and, and basically, Tony Soprano was there, and, and, and we don't know what's going on, and then the screen just goes blank, and people like like millions of people thought like something was wrong with their cable. But that was actually the ending. And so the debate was, did Tony die? Is he, is he still alive? What happened to Tony Soprano? And, and just so we're clear, that's not what's going on here. They're told straight up, the one you seek, Jesus of Nazareth, the, the crucified one, he has risen. He is not here. And right there, you have the gospel at its most basic terms. And so it, it, remember in, in 1 Corinthians, the, the apostle Paul was trying to remind the Corinthian church of the gospel. And, and he, so he summarizes it by saying that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So here we have the first post-resurrection announcement of the complete gospel. And in this announcement, there's a command. So the command, in this command, you hear the first implications of the gospel. The angel says to the woman, the women, go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. So, so in chapter 14, all the disciples denied Jesus and ran away when Jesus was arrested. But Peter not only does that and, and abandons him with the rest of the disciples, but then he denies him again after that. So, so before that, during the Last Supper, when Jesus said that they will all fall away and deny him, Peter just starts arguing with Jesus. He's saying that, that and he like throws the other disciples under the bus. He's saying, if they all fall away, I won't fall away. So he's throwing other people under the bus. And, and Jesus is trying to, and he's trying to, like, you're going to deny me. Peter, you're going to deny me. And, and Peter's, like, really adamant. And Jesus tries to, like, show him, like, I know what I'm talking about. So he says, when the, you would have denied me three times before the rooster crows twice. And so Peter's just stubborn. He's saying, he's even going as far as saying, if I have to die, I will not deny you. And so fast forward to right after they all deny Jesus. And, and Jesus was arrested. To the, and, and Jesus was in the place where, where he was being held and, and put under trial. And Peter is not wanting to identify with Jesus, but, but he's just nosy enough to, to kind of be around in the area where, where Jesus is being held. And so it says that he's warming himself by the fire. And we don't really know what's going on with him, but, but it says that there's a servant girl that, that recognizes Jesus. And, and she's like, aren't you one of those dudes that was rolling with Jesus? And, and he denies it. He just straight up denies it. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so the girl's like, she knows something's up. So she starts talking to bystanders, people that are just, I guess, hanging out there. It's a public area, I guess. And, and, and the thing is, 
they're like, man, we know this. Like, this guy was one of those people. He was one of the people that was with Jesus. And Peter is just, he denies it. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard of him. And, and so they start thinking, like, something's up. Something is up. Like, this guy was definitely with Jesus. And, and, and then in Matthew, it talks about how his accent, like, gave him away. So, so I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. My, my Spanish isn't great, but if I'm talking with, with other Latinos, they pretty much know, like, man, this dude's Puerto Rican. All right? And then when I go to, when I'm in PR with my family, they can tell, like, this guy's from the States. So, so it's like, I, I'm, like I, they would have to tell, when I was hanging out over there, they, my cousins would have to tell their friends, el de allá afuera, meaning, like, he's from, he's from the outside. He's from the States to try to explain, like, what's going on. Like, why is he talking funny? And, and, and so this is what's going on here. With Peter, it's like this dude has a Galilean accent. They know he's from Galilee, and they catch him in his lie because he's saying that he's never even heard of him. But he's from Galilee. That would not make sense. And so they call him out, and and Peter doesn't back down. And basically, he he pretty much knows he's caught in a lie. And and he's just getting belligerent. He's he's taking it to another level, and and he he starts invoking a curse on himself. And and, and he's at the point where he's swearing that he does not know Jesus. And he hears a rooster crow. We don't know if he, he left at that point or what, but he hears a rooster crow for the second time after that, and it's like a light bulb going off immediately. And he, and, and, and he remembers what Jesus said. Jesus said, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And it says he broke down and wept. The, the pain of knowing what he had just done. Like this wasn't just some, some acquaintance. This was this was Jesus. He was, he was his disciple. He followed him closely for, for three years. You, you got to understand, Peter, Peter was on the mountain in, in chapter 9 with James and John. Peter, Peter was on the mountain. He saw Jesus being transformed in his glory. He knew who Jesus really was. He heard the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And here he is, having just denied that he even know, he even knew who Jesus was. And yet the angel said, tell the disciples and Peter. Tell Peter. You've got to talk to Peter. Jesus is calling you by name. He, he knows you. He knows your brokenness. And, and guess what? He is not surprised at your sin. Jesus actually knows you better than you do. Peter was shocked that he would deny Jesus and get to that low of a point. But guess what? It did not shock Jesus. And Jesus was able to say, make sure you tell Peter. Go to Peter. And so Jesus mentioning the disciples and specifically Peter is a clear picture of the radical nature of God's grace. What we're seeing here are are clear implications of the gospel. Restoration to God. Later, Later on in his life, Peter, writing to the church in 1 Peter 1 verse 3 
he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's this great passage in the book of Romans. It's it's right at the end of chapter 4. And it talks about Jesus being raised for our justification. So being justified before God means that when we put our faith in Jesus, our sins are not counted against us. He, God, declares us righteous because our sins were counted against Jesus. Instead of us taking the, the righteous wrath of God that we deserve, Jesus took it all. And so Jesus, by being raised from the dead, it's God the Father saying, approving of the work that his son Jesus did on the cross. God the the Father receives us with open arms. So it's not anything good that we've done, but it's because of everything that Jesus has done. And as Pastor Kevin mentioned last week, Jesus' death and suffering give us access and confidence. Access to his presence that we can go to God the Father by his blood and confidence by the blood of Jesus. And confidence, confident that we are secure in his love for us. So the resurrection is the guarantee that our relationship with God can be restored. But that's not all. The resurrection is also the guarantee that God will restore the world. So Christianity's hope isn't that we'll just simply go to heaven when we die. It's not that that's a wrong statement. It's just incomplete. The resurrection gives us hope that all those stories that Jesus has told us about God's kingdom and and all those prophecies of old in the scriptures proclaiming that there will be a time when all things will be made right. And that there will be a world where where there is no death and where there are no tears. Because of Jesus' resurrection, our final hope isn't that we will just escape our bodies and be in heaven and be in heaven, but that we will have restored physical bodies and we will live in a restored physical world. And Jesus will be king. One theologian explains: heaven isn't an escapist dream. The, the place where you go and, and play the harp while sitting on clouds. It, it's not a place to be held out like a dangling carrot to make people better behaved. Just like God isn't an absentee landlord who looks down from a great height just to tell us what not to do. Heaven is the extra dimension, the God dimension of all our present reality. And the God who lives there is present to us, present with us, and sharing our joy and sorrows, knowing that there will be a day when his whole creation, heaven and earth together, will perfectly reflect his glory. There will be a new earth where where Jesus will be on the throne, an earth that will not have the decay of death, an earth that isn't tainted by selfishness and sin, and it is going to be filled with God's joy, love, wisdom, and justice. And so Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of that. It's an indicator that just like God restored our relationship 
relationship with him through Jesus, he will also one day fully restore the brokenness of this world. Revelation chapter 21 verses 3 and 4. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former Things have passed away. So we're called to offer our lives to give glimpses of that hope and that reality right now. We're called as followers of Jesus to be a people who are welcoming, the the ones who give hope to the hopeless, to to care for those who are suffering, to, to speak out against sin and injustice, a people that bring the gospel to bear in all of life. And now, the final verse of the book of Mark, the, the verse that has caused so much confusion and caused multiple additional endings. It says in, in verse 8, chapter 16 of Mark, and they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So this isn't the happy ending that we expect. It's not the grand finale that we'd want in a gospel ending, that Jesus, there's no post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. He's not gathered together with his disciples. He doesn't ascend into heaven like we see in the other gospels. And, and so the question is, why would Mark end this way? So the first aspect I think we need to just take note of is, is Mark's style throughout the book of Mark. So he's very abrupt. He's very just fast-paced. Uh, Jesus, uh, Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan described it as Jesus in your face. Like it's just showing the actions of Jesus just going back and forth. And it's the shortest, most brief gospel. And so just as Mark ends abruptly, he also started abruptly. Like you don't see the, the genealogies and, and birth stories of, of Matthew and Luke. And you don't see the, the preexistent divine nature of Jesus as you see in, in, in the book of John. And so that's the same thing with the ending. It just, it starts and then it ends. So, but then the aspect of fear. So, okay, I get it. Why, he's abrupt. Why would he end off on the women being afraid and not telling anything to anyone? And so another aspect we've got to think about is this, this theme of fear and failure. And, and it's all throughout Mark. It, it, the, the disciples, people who, who are, are listening to Jesus, who are following Jesus, they see Jesus doing something, they hear his teaching, and, and a lot of times they just, they have a, the wrong response. Like they don't know how to handle it. They don't have the categories for it. And so, and so a lot of times the response is fear. It's fear, confusion, unbelief. And so that's, that's kind of like the theme throughout the whole book. And, and I think it's, it's so that we will know that, that our fear and our wrong responses to Jesus does not change who Jesus is. 
the way we respond to him doesn't change who he is, who he is and what he's promised. He is God and he's good. And, and no matter what we're feeling, we can know that that's true. And so that even paralyzing fear would not stop God's promise from happening, that Jesus would see his followers in Galilee. So we know from the other Gospels that the silence and fear of the women was not permanent. And that these women have a unique place in history of being the first commissioned evangelists of the resurrected Christ. So, so listen, women in an age where they were even more marginalized than they are today are chosen by God as the first humans to carry this completed gospel message. And the first hearers are men, the disciples. And so just because the women were immediately fearful and silent doesn't mean they stayed that way. Jesus, the one who can handle the storm and calm the winds and the waves, he can also handle our fear and our confusion. Listen, my kids, when, when they're scared, when, when they're fearful, if they're acting disobedient, no matter what they're doing, that does not change who I am and my relationship to them. Like, they're my kids. I love them. Even when they're scared, even when they don't know what's going on, even when they have all these wrong responses, I still love them. So do you have a hunger deep in your soul? Is there a, a thirst deep in your heart that, that nothing seems to satisfy? And so Jesus is calling out to all who would listen, and he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And, and if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's the call. Jesus is saying, come to me. He, he, he was telling the, the, the disciples and the women through the angel, he's saying, come, meet me. And so this brings us to the table. Jesus told his followers that they would see him in Galilee. And, and though they had been with him and had seen him, he was inviting them to see him for he, who he really is, the resurrected Messiah, the Son of God. And, and just like he invited them, he is inviting us to meet him right now and see him for who he really is. Is your soul hungry for true food? Does your heart thirst for something that will actually satisfy? Jesus is the creator of your soul. He knows what you need more than you do. He loves you. You can't hide from him. He knows everything about you. And he's just saying, come. And so if you would say with us, if you would say with us, I want you, Jesus, I need you. You gave your all for me, and I give my all to you. Then join us in communion. And as we sing, and come, meet him. Pray with me. Oh, Father God, 
we, we come before you so thankful that, that you, God, came to earth. You did not consider yourself too good to just stay up in heaven, to stay on your throne. But you sent Jesus as God's son, God the son, to come down and live the life that we couldn't live to save us. And Jesus, you experienced everything for us that we would be able to bring glory back to you and that our relationship will be restored with you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.